0: Welcome to a new edition of The Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with psychological writer Jean Marie Arred. She runs Screens and Ego Literary Magazine, which is named after a book she wrote. It provides all with the opportunity to be recognized and published for thoughts about or related to emotional and psychological conditions of modern America. Her book has been widely praised by two New York Times bestselling authors and is climbing the charge. She is from Lansing, Michigan and studied comparative literature in Arabic at Emory University. She's got a great story. Enjoy. Well, hey, I, I really want to dig into your life as a writer and 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 what what makes you who you are. So to begin this process, I want to start with the fact that we're coming up on four years of this pandemic. How did you get through the pandemic and how did it change you?
1: Yeah, so I was supposed to graduate college in 2020 and then um I was emailed. Uh, that everyone had to leave their housing on campus within 10 days, um, and I went home. Um, And uh, the COVID pandemic really disrupted my life. Um, But also, I think that in retrospect, it uh, allowed me to find more creative freedom than I ever would have found if I was with a group of people who were pressuring me to write certain ideas according to their, like, you know, social mores and, and everything. So, Um, So basically, uh, I went home and I couldn't find a job. So I started working in the Amazon warehouse, because I needed money, um, which was a a pretty stark contrast from being at Emory and studying like high literature. I also at the time thought that I was going to do a PhD program because I had been really interested and Um, you know, uh, pretty distinguished at, you know, just like in that social circle, like I was really good at reading books in foreign languages. And I think that um, processing literature is uh, fundamentally a a process of connecting emotionally to whoever you're reading about, right? And as you read literature that is farther removed from your social context or your, uh, you know, experiences or whatever your origin, like if I have to connect to Laozi, or like a you know, a umayyad poet from the i don't even know <laughs> from iraq yeah. uh then um i have to verge upon how uh, i can actually emotionally connect with what this person is trying to say and that kind of um gave me an opportunity to understand a, a universal human experience so Uh, At the time I thought I was going to get a PhD and then um, I didn't do very well on uh, my thesis, which is like the main thing that you're supposed to do in order to like launch yourself into PhD programs. So I I didn't do that. And then I started working at the Amazon warehouse and I had like this huge crisis about like who I was going to be and where I was going. And um, outside of this like super like, like psycho controlling university environment, I started writing what I actually thought. Um, and, uh, I found creative freedom and that's why I wrote the book that I wrote screens in the ego. Um, and, uh, that's also why I launched the magazine that I launched. Um, and now I've, um, been pretty, uh, active in, in the movement to, uh, resist, echo chambers and allow people to have constructive dialogue with people whom they disagree with. Um, and uh, I've, I've been pretty proud and um, I wouldn't say widely praised, but of the people who have read my book, a lot of them received it really well. Um, so that's, that's kind of the story of the pandemic for me.
0: So if I was to put you in front of a bunch of third graders right now, and it's <laughs> career day, and one of the kids was curious and said, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I have a day job as a writer for a software company. Um, but I also am just a writer and the, um, my process has been trying to figure out how to make money doing it. Um, so, so, uh, if you can, uh, if you can uh, tell a nuanced story about a product, um, you can make a lot of money writing. Um, but also if you want to develop a platform, um, talking about ideas that really matter to you, then you um, have to connect with the internal lives of your listeners, which is um, done through authenticity. So uh, that's um, that's what I would tell that child. I'd say that I'm a writer. <laughs> so
0: let's take you back to the third grade. What did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Um, when I was in third grade, I didn't have a, a self-conception like that. So I don't, I don't know what I, I don't know what I wanted to be. What did you want to be when you were in third grade?
0: I wanted, I watched Chips. I was of that generation. So I wanted to be a part of the California highway patrol. I wanted to ride with Poncho. (laughs) And then of course, as I got older and saw a more real version in Cops, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to pass on that. So
1: (laughs) you wanted the adventure, right?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Adrenaline's my, my (laughs) go-to. That's awesome. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Where were you born and raised? How did the seeds of, of getting into writing and storytelling, how did all of this kind of take hold and grow into who you are today?
1: I'm from Southeast Michigan, uh, and I lived there my whole life. Um, I uh, I had cancer as a young child, so a lot of my um, experiences in early childhood were marked by quarantine before quarantine. Wow. Um, just because, uh, yeah, it, honestly, having cancer as a child is pretty... Um, it's, it's actually pretty nice uh, because you don't have an understanding of your own death and uh, everyone treats you really nicely. Um, So I think that the greatest shock for me, oh, sorry. So when I had cancer, I was, uh, I was in quarantine in a hospital room. So my grandma, um, like was my main person and she would sit with me for hours and hours and hours. And my grandma is an Arab American woman. So I internalized a lot of her stories about like faraway places and and the, the way that she reconciled like a culture that she grew up in and, and how you uh, transgress like really, really stringent, like like how, you, how she you know, developed like, like what it is to be a woman between like the West and the East and, and those types of things. So I, uh, I really um, connected with her and that was really important to me. Um, and then uh, I started going to school and I think that the biggest um, issue with uh, navigating early childhood cancer is um, the shock when you get out of, of the cancer treatment hall. Um, cause that was really insane when I was like, Oh, I, I have to go to school now. And I have to like be a normal kid. And there's also like, I, there, there is kind of a, a mind body disconnect that all kids with early childhood cancer go through that, um, It comes from the fact that you have to like allow people to like hurt you like in in a very primal sense you have to be like okay like this person's going to take my blood and I just have to stand there and let them take it Mm -hmm. um and and that mind-body disconnect um like is it's like widely talked about uh as like a a post-traumatic stress that's not unlike a, a I, I don't know. This is going to sound weird, but it's not unlike sexual abuse in the sense that you have like this very, um, uh, a stretched out mind body disconnect, yeah. Um, that's lasted into adulthood just because, like, uh, to this day, like, um, I can disassociate from my body for long periods of time, and it's it's like very normal. And uh, of the kids who I know who also went through early childhood illness like that, they also tend to have mind body disconnects. Um which honestly helped me get into yoga. So that's good. But that's uh, that's my story from, from very young.
0: I've heard that before from sexual abuse survivors, that there is that disconnection. There's that kind of, yeah, you're you're kind of hovering over your reality and dealing with it in the only way that your brain, you're in survival mode. It's interesting. Right. My best friend, when I was a kid, his name was Matt and he had like chronic liver problems. And mm-hmm. we would go outside and play and he would come in and he would have an IV that he would hook up. And there right. was no remorse. It's like an animal. An animal doesn't have remorse and and, and right. self-neglect whenever there's like a leg missing or whatever. They just go. They just do it. And I remember right. that about him, how there was this just perpetual motion. And it wasn't talked about a lot. It was just a part of his reality. And we didn't get into it a lot. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's interesting. And he actually, unfortunately, when I was 17, well, no, how old? I think he was older than me. He passed at 17. So I got an early dose mm-hmm. too of going through that and then seeing, you know, kind of that that idea of mortality pretty quick in my life. So right. um you know So
1: did you when you were a kid and you watched him with the IV did that like cause you to um understand a difference between your reality and his reality? Oh yeah. Like, did-
0: yeah it it was i don't know how stark it was at that point because i was developing and i was just kind of going through my thing with Mm -hmm. everything else that was going on but i remember thinking wow this is intense to see this but i think i was more enamored with the way that he carried on in a regular way versus my my self-reflection of mortality so it it was interesting it was a very interesting way of of going through life but uh so so let me ask you this. What was the first story that you wrote where you were like, this is something that works. This is where I want to go.
1: Um, so the first story that I got published was when I was 17 years old and it was about having cancer. It was called Why I Hate Bananas and it was published in Universal Tables, uh, Wising Up Press. And um, it was it was a pretty like humorous story about like... A, uh, taking chemotherapy and then feeling nausea afterwards um, but it uh it recounted my experience watching a girl who I knew die um, and it uh, kind of took you through the the levels of like a uh, psychological and social disconnect that you have when you experience early childhood cancer and obviously that was going to be the first thing that I ever published because that was going to that's like a, a primal uh, experience and also having cancer from ages three to like seven um, like the, those like sacred early childhood memories where like you're you're like a, a completely like in love with yourself in the world you know like those those really early childhood memories where you feel safe and and nothing bad has happened yet those occurred in a hospital room like so so like <clears throat> I, I don't associate cancer with purely negative emotions um, so it kind of talked about that um then as I went through college I got published in 2017 uh Tulip Tree Press's uh Stories that Need to be Told anthology. Um and that one was about uh a fictionalized version of uh my uncle who uh adopted his granddaughter. He was a Vietnam veteran and the process of like adopting um his granddaughter was like really uh life-giving for him in terms of like trauma recovery uh and then i went on to continue to publish after that
0: yeah i've been in that row before i just recently had one of the coolest things happen was something published i published a poem um about uh, yeah and i've been doing that for years but i this one specifically was about a lead singer of a band called the heart sardines out of new york city and they're kind Mm -hmm. of like a they're a throwback to like the twenties and getting people dancing. And it just, it's a good feeling music. And mm-hmm. her name is miss Elizabeth. And I wrote a poem about her and I actually got to MC an event where they were going to open up at a theater here in Kansas city. And I said, Hey, I wrote a poem. What do you think? And I just figured it would be okay, cool. But she grabbed it and was like, can I have this? And it actually started getting really emotional reading. It, it was like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And so it was cool. It's cool when you can like, there's something special about that when, when you can see something in print and after all of the sweat and tears and everything we go through to see it come to fruition, it's fun for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so Definitely. who's been a hero for you in your life?
1: Uh, my grandmother, my grandmother has been a hero for me. Cause uh, she taught me how to emotionally process things um, and how to like order your internal life so that you can like have emotional resilience and so forth.
0: So, if you could meet a writer or anybody that you find inspirational right now that's alive on the planet who would it be who would you love to who'd be fascinating for you to meet
1: oh um uh, my two favorite writers are ernest hemingway and milan kundera um okay. wh- who are both rather different writers um so uh for ernest hemingway uh okay so ernest hemingway is important because uh, he actually was able to capture the essence of world war one like no other writer um, it's, it's difficult to describe how terrible World War One was for so many people, right? Like, like, um, it, so before World War One, when you went to war, there was a bravery aspect where, like, you were going to stand in battle and you were going to fight and the, the, uh, you know, the strength of your body had something to do with whether or not you were going to win the fight. But, um, by the time Uh, like explosives got to the size that they were in World War I, your physical strength had nothing to do with your experience at war. Um, And uh, a lot of people, a lot of people tried to describe the horrors of World War I by uh, minutely like describing the details of like what they saw. Um, And Ernest Hemingway's interpretation uh, actually has very little details about war. Um, but it captures the emotional experience of it. So it starts with, um, it's called A Farewell to Arms. And it starts yeah. with like this boy who's going to go to war. And he's like very young. And and he's kind of, you know, excited to do what he's supposed to do. And then um, at the very beginning of the book, uh, he's eating macaroni with his fingers. And like this is like dry pasta with a slab of cheese on top because that's how they used to eat it. Um, and then he gets blown up and that moment is like completely unheroic there's nothing there's nothing brave about that there's nothing redeeming about that experience it's just it's just a terrible experience and then uh, about three-fifths of the book is uh, this boy in recovery like courting a nurse and they have like a very childish like high schooly relationship where there's like this one really mean nun and they keep like trying to sneak around her and sneak alcohol and like kiss behind like a door or something um and then uh and then he gets to the end, um, and the, the woman gets pregnant, and they're going to run away to Switzerland together. And, and they uh, get away, and they're super happy, and their baby's coming. And then she dies, and the baby dies. And uh, he's, the, the man, Henry, is like, they're, they're dead. They're just dead, and there's nothing because they're just dead. And there was no point of it, and no one's going to remember that I love them, and no one's going to ever experience my pain, and I just have to go home now and um that that is essentially the experience of world war one
0: yeah where
1: it's like uh, there's there was nothing i i had the most terrible experience in the world and it didn't matter to anyone and i have to go home now um and like millions of young men saw their pain on his pages and uh since then ernest hemingway has been revered and um So I've read almost everything Ernest Hemingway has written and I really appreciate him. And then Milan Kundera, but I I don't want to take up too much time. Do you have a question?
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, no, no. I was just going to say, I just read um, a book by uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell called the uh, bomber mafia. And it Uh, talked about how the trauma of all the ground troops and bloodshed in world war one propelled them to go to an air war. The air force came out of that and it was Mm -hmm. more tactical. Like you said, it was more mental. It was about, you know, uh, hitting a small barrel from thirty thousand feet in the sky, you know that idea, so that they wouldn't have to sacrifice so many lives at that point. But yeah, the whole idea right. of war and Hemingway was a master at the psychology of all of that. Um, right. So you also are 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 very good at, at at getting into the minds of your characters and putting that on a page. What's your motivation every day to? Do what you do to write and to and to make stories. What what ultimately gets you out of bed every day?
1: Um, I think that uh, well, there, there's a couple ideas in there. First of all, the reason that I get out of bed every day, as opposed to just like giving up on life, is because. Um, I believe that the culmination of, that that my life doesn't really belong to me because like thousands of my ancestors like lived and died so that I could be here. And I owe it to the, you know, people before me to live a good life and to pass that on, right? So um, I I kind of reject this like hyper Freudian um, idea of like individuality where I get to control my own life. Um, because I really do owe it to, like, the people around me to, like, keep it together and live a good life. So that's the reason that I get up every day. Um, and then the reason that I write is because uh, I um, wouldn't be able to understand my world if I didn't try to create a story out of it. Yeah. Um, and that's I'm, – I'm constantly, constantly creating stories. Uh, and, um, you know, as, as I meet people and see, like, what they're going through, I I just – I I see the through line or I try to see the through line about how how it begins and how it ends.
0: So of all the things that you've done so far, what are you the proudest of?
1: I'm proudest of writing my book. Um, And the reason that I'm proud of writing my book is because um, I wrote what I thought was true. And I wrote um, what I thought was true, despite the fact that some people might not like it, or um, despite the fact that it's... uh, uh, not necessarily going to, you know, propel my career or get me in with the right people or whatever. I just wrote what I thought was true. Um, and I respect, uh, the choice to live an authentic life.
0: So w- what's your expectation to go to New York? How excited are you?
1: Oh, I'm, I am very excited to go to New York. Uh, I, it's like the right place for a writer. And, yeah. um, I'm, I'm definitely excited to, to have that experience. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't have a lot of things to say about New York at this time because I haven't been there yet. <laughs> yeah,
0: Right. Absolutely. So well, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, all of the fans, everybody that reads you, but mm-hmm. ultimately you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, human beings have a limitless impulse to self-define. Um, and I, uh, uh, I'm no exception to that, but um, I can tell you how I learned to de- respect myself. Like I, so screens on the ego talks extensively about like how um, I dealt with like cycles of like feeling really good about myself and then crashing and feeling really bad about myself. And I call these like cycles of self-loathing. And I think that like uh, the vast majority of people my age are going through this because I don't think that. Um, having an empowerment psychology or self-esteem really helps people fundamentally respect themselves as a person. I think that um, uh, religion is a is a better way of framing the idea of like how to respect yourself in the sense that like if you can respect yourself like you would respect another person, then um, you don't have to like convince yourself that you're a good person because you already know that you are. And the the fundamental way to respect yourself is by behaving in a way that's respectable. Um, and doing things that are respectable day to day. So I feel best about myself when I like, uh, you know, call my great aunt or uh, you know, hold the door for someone. Whatever it is, if I can like make another person feel good about themselves, if I can like do a good job at work, send a really nice email, uh, talk someone down from a conflict, whatever it is, um, if I can be a force for good in the world, then I can respect myself like I would another person and and develop a sense of self esteem.
0: So if anyone wants to get your book, they want to read anything more that you put out there, anything about your world, reach out, how can they do that?
1: Uh, they can visit my website, com. I am accepting open submissions. So if you're interested in commenting on the psychological condition of modern society, or you just have an interesting piece that you're really proud of, submit it to me. And um, I've been putting up a lot of really awesome pieces lately. So um, definitely get in contact. I'd love to talk.
0: Excellent. Jane Marie, thank you so much. Thanks for your story. Have have a great move to New York. Best of luck with everything.